Welcome to Everything's Not Fine. I'm Kelly Budnick. And I'm Nicole Allen. You know, we're two friends that have done a lot of life together. (laughs) Yeah, but sometimes it can feel really lonely. Especially in this era of filtered pics and curated highlight reels. So we're here to remind you that you're not alone. Life can be messy and crazy and great all at the same time. We're so glad you're here to join us in our unfiltered and no BS real talk because everything's not fine. Good morning, friends. We are back and this episode is going to be a little bit different um, in that usually we start, as you know, with little bit of chit chat, but this whole topic of being seen has really obviously touched on some, some things for so many of you and for us. And, um, as we've been getting feedback, which has been so helpful, uh, it's really encouraged Kel to want to share her story. Uh, she's obviously dipped her toes into it at times and shared little bits and pieces But this being seen in motherhood just has such a natural flow with um, everything she's been working through and and so honestly and bravely been willing to share with us um, some of her process in that she's been in, in therapy and just as a woman that we thought this would be a really good natural opportunity for her to share more of her story. And so... Today we're not gonna we're not gonna do as much chit chat and we're just gonna kind of jump in um, to her sharing. So thanks for being here. Oh, thanks, Nicole. I feel like a guest on our own show. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, Kel. Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm excited. I I know you've been really putting a lot of thought and work and and just heart into kind of how you want to share and what you want to share. And, yeah. and I know it's so deep and this work that you've been doing is so deep and we're just really grateful that you're willing to be that open with us. That's, that's a big honor um, when anybody will open themselves up. And so yeah. I really feel that and I'm grateful that you're willing Thank to. You. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, I too feel honored to have this space and the, the people that listen to this and um, send messages and just kind of interact um, that have been so encouraging about just my being in therapy and what I'm discovering and like the healing process for me and so much of that, excuse me, Um, But just the feedback that I get is so, um, it's connecting and it, and it gives me almost like a, a drive to keep going because um, people do connect to it. And, and, you know, just even little comments that I've made here and there in episodes, you know, the, some of the feedback that we get of like, 
can we have an episode where we talk about like how to have an adult relationship with your parents and, you know, just even things like that. And so um, it inspires me. Like I have to be doing this because I have to resolve some things, but I also have to be doing this because um, it kind of feels like this is part of the big thing that I'm on this earth to do is to, to just be honest about things that aren't necessarily pretty, but yeah. <laughs> um, are part of the human experience and the the family experience or whatever, and and to give hope because I truly <laughs> feel like if I can get healing, then anyone can, <laughs> and um, just you know I. Yeah. So a couple of a couple of like housekeeping things before I dive in um, for me. A good part of my childhood story um, has abuse in it, whether physical, sexual, um, domestic type things. So um, alcoholism in my family. So I don't know how much of that I'll really dive into, but it's definitely part of my story. So it's definitely going to come through. So I always like to give a preface when that's going to be the case, because I know um, some days if that's part of our experience, it's just not a good day to hear that. And so um, consider yourself warned that that may be part of today's story. Um And then the other thing is just, um, I know I've said this before, but I really do want to make sure to reiterate, um, my mother is not a bad person. She, um, and she wasn't a terrible mother. Um, but no, no, but she's not, she's not a bad person. She's, she has amazing qualities and, um, just because our relationship isn't necessarily a healthy one. Um, doesn't mean that I I wish her ill or think she's a terrible person. Um, and truthfully, through my childhood, she was doing the best she could with what she had and what she knew, as we all do. And so um, I'm grateful for that. Um Yeah, I thought that was really astute when you said that um, last week about she taught me, she showed me how to fight, how to fight through hard things, how to be a survivor, um, that those were qualities that she actively was able to teach uh, by doing. And those are important things when, when you are going through the hard shit that she was going through and that you were going through. Um, and unfortunately, most of the time, if you're going through those things, you're probably not doing other things like you had said, like the nurturing and showing that part of things. Um, and again, just being fallible and limited and, you know, um, but I thought that was a really, that was astute and, and a, a good way to be able to say like you kind of reiterate, not a bad person, not saying, you know, all bad things. Um, 
but this is your story and this is what, you know, there's two sides of that coin. And if you've got a strength in one, you're probably weak in another. Yeah. Um, Especially in an era where that, that just wasn't really. Absolutely. You know, focused on. We, we did not grow up in the touchy feely era of life. (laughs) Yep. Yep. In the best of circumstances. Um, And I think the other thing that I want to make sure that everyone knows that I am aware of is this is my story. And there are three sides to every story, Mm -hmm. but I am well aware that um, my story is through my perspective. And in any person, when as a kid, like in trauma therapy, I've learned that trauma is not necessarily always exactly as it, it wasn't exactly as it is in our brain. It's through our perception as children, we perceive things a certain way and it may not have been the intent or um, sometimes even the reality of exactly the way it happened, but it's the way our child brain interpreted it and perceived Mm -hmm. it. And so, um, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm going to tell my story that's full of shit. I'm just saying like, it's just, it's my story. And I know that, um, anybody involved has their perception of, of how things happened and what intents were behind it. And so I, I just want to like be very aware that that is, um, the absolute truth of, and, and how, and I know that it's whatever. I know it's my story. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but even though it's a personal story, I do think it has a lot of overarching story of the mother daughter relationship as many, many people experience it. And so, um, I, I just, I, I want, my goal in life is to, um, like I said earlier, like just, just make the hardship real and, and, op- and be open about it. And truthfully for me, selfishly, like vulnerability for me is the antidote to shame. Like we've talked about so many times. Thank you, Brene Brown. Um, <laughs> and, and I, this is a good time for me to have some very deep vulnerability. So that's my housekeeping. That's my, um, all my trigger warnings and all the bullshit. So here we go. Yes. <laughs> Let's dive in. Um, I'll try to answer a lot of questions that I've been asked over the last couple of years because I have had, uh, anytime I bring up my mom or my, like, what's going on with me in that relationship. I do get questions in my DMs or texts or from friends of, of like, so what happened? Or, you know, how did, why, why don't you speak to your mom or, you know, whatever. And I think it really started for me. um, Like the realization of this is not okay. Um, when Ellie became a teenager and entered her challenging years and um, I I mentioned last week in our podcast how there were times that Jim said to me, um, 
like you're kind of, you know, being a little bit like your mom right now. And um, not in a, like there are times where I do dumb stuff and he's like, okay, Deb, like, you know, when I act just like my mother and not in that way, but like, hey, babe, the thing that you said is, was really hurtful from your mom. Like you're doing that right now Mm -hmm. and what's going on. And so um, in those conversations, I realized I didn't like the mom that I was being to her, like times of high pressure or stress or fear with her. um, Part of me would come out. That was not who I wanted to be as a mom. And um, the whole idea of positive parenting that we were trying to do was like out the window. And um, now looking back and what I've learned in therapy, I realized that my wounded child um, and the parts of me that were created to protect that wounded child were taking over during those times. And um, I... You know, they say that if you don't um, deal with your hurts and your wounds, they bubble out in your life later on. And that's what was happening. And um, I think once I realized that, I knew that I wasn't going to be the woman and the mom and the person in the last half of my life that I wanted to be if I didn't acknowledge some truth. And to that point, I had said, like, during church times and during the cult, remember, like, it was all about, um, like, people who had father wounds or, um, you know, there's so much talk about young women with daddy issues, like in the dating world or whatever. And so to me, it was very obvious that I had daddy issues. I mean, duh, who wouldn't with the, the childhood I had, but I never, and even, um, I remember the family I lived with during MC sitting with the mom and being like, you know, I'm really grateful that I'm with you guys. I know that, you know, they put the people who have, hard stories or whatever with you guys. And um, the dad of the house was like the ultimate dad and was such a loving figure. And so they put people who had daddy issues in their house. And I was like, you know, I'm really grateful to have him and to kind of help heal a lot of those things. Um, But I just, I want you to know, like, I really don't have mom issues. And so um, I'm grateful for you. And I'm so excited to be friends, but I just want you to know, like, I, I have a great mom and I'm not really lacking in that area. And <laughs> I just remember a few years ago being that conversation coming back to me and me being like, oh my God. <laughs> like, but really realizing truthfully of, I have a mother wound, like, there's some shit there. And um, it was not something I'd ever been aware of. And because I idolized my mom. And like I said last week, she taught me how to be a fighter. And she's the ultimate example of not letting life destroy you. And so, 
you know, I just, I, that's, that's what I saw in her and that's all I saw. Um, so the realization as an adult, and I'm talking like probably 40 of, oh, wow, there's a lot there was very difficult for me. So, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about like, as therapy has gone on, how that has come out, but, um, that's kind of, I just wanted to tell like when I really started realizing this was, you know, and I've talked about our last conversation and I'll, I'll go into that more later, but for now, let's just tell my story. Um, I'll start with childhood. Um, so I think I've said before, I was born in a rural farm town in Arkansas, um, like tiny. And when you think of the stereotypes of Arkansas, that's what it was. Um, (laughs) it was, and I, like my family who still lives there probably I know that they think that I'm like ashamed of my roots and, you know, because I don't have relationship connections there um, anymore, but I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. Like they're hardworking, good people. And um, for a long time in my life, I was very ashamed of my roots, but um, as I've gotten older and, and been more aware, I'm not, I, I love, I mean, are there some things that I don't agree with or is there a little bit of racism? Is there a little bit of, you know, things? Absolutely. But I love my people and I'm not ashamed of that. Um, but it was a very different world. And my earliest memories with my mom, um, were she's, she's was an RN and she worked in an ER and, Um, I remember being, she, for a while she worked night shift and I remember being like three or four years old and being at the hospital with her and like different times, (laughs) but I would like, she would let me answer the phone in the ER and be like, ER, this is Kelly or whatever. And, um, I just, I thought she was so amazing. Like she, she just was so cool as a nurse. And she, so she worked at one point, I remember her working, I think three jobs of like, she was working at the hospital and she was teaching CPR classes and she would let me go to those with her. And I was the dummy or whatever, you know, and not really, but she let me pretend I was. And, you know, just, there was a lot of time together at a very young age. Um, because my dad was an alcoholic and um, she was doing everything. She supported our family and um, eventually he got trained and had a, had a job in a factory or whatever. But I, I know that there were years where like she held everything down and um, he was physically abusive to her. um, Not really very much to me, but um, things got bad um, pretty early on, like I, there were a lot of years of watching my parents fight, like physically fight. And, um, so they had divorced when I was nine. 
But up until then, um, I don't remember ever seeing them in love or happy or really together all that much. My dad would go to the bar after work and he had a girlfriend on the side and sometimes he wouldn't come home for a few days. Um, sometimes he would come home at like on a Saturday morning when I was getting out of bed, um, he would be getting home from the bars, like just drunk and, um, looking to fight with my mom and, um, and she's a fiery woman and she always was. And that probably didn't do her any favors in that relationship with him because, um, it probably, you know, things were worse than if she had just laid down and, you know, whatever. So, um, when there were times when she, once she realized he had another woman, um, I remember parking outside of that woman's house with her and not know, I didn't know at the time what was going on, but my mom would just sit outside what would later be my stepmom's house and just sit there and let him know that she knew that he was in there and mm. um, just, wow. So um, there were a few times that my mom tried to leave. And uh, one time in particular, I remember him dragging her back into the house by her hair and saying we would never leave. He would never let her leave alive, basically. Um and because of that, when she finally did leave, we just literally snuck out of town. Like, I had no idea um, that it was going to happen until it did. And so there was no preparing for it. There was no, like, healthy separation and divorce. <laughs> like, um, she had she had gone to... So, well, I spent most of my childhood shuffled back and forth, but during their marriage, um, those nine years shuffled back and forth between family members, um, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, um, a really good, like our neighbor who had a daughter a few years older than me. Um, I practically lived there and like, she was just old enough that she kind of babysat me and, um, you know, they were my family. And then, um, like I said, my grandparents, my dad's parents, um, I remember them babysitting me a lot and his sister and her kids babysitting me a lot. But then my mom's parents, eventually I lived half my life there. I, my mom would drop me off when she left the house for work every morning and it was still dark outside and she would pick me up and it was still dark outside or she wouldn't. And I would stay there for a couple of days or, um, it, it really became a blur. Like it's a blur in my mind of when was I really ever home? Um, so towards the end of their marriage, my mom left for like a month and, um, I was at my grandparents' house that whole time because I know my dad couldn't be trusted to take care of me. Um, so when she came back, she and I stayed at my grandparents' house. And basically it was like she and my dad were separated 
from what I can tell. And um, a couple of weeks later, she the night before, she was like, tomorrow I'm going to pick you up from school and we are moving. And um, you can't tell anyone because dad won't, your dad won't let us go. Um, but I just want you to know. <laughs> and so um, she picked me up from school in a U-Haul and we were on the road. And we moved from this teeny tiny little town in Arkansas to Dallas, Texas. And um, it was culture shock and every kind of shock in every way possible. Um, Her good friend or a friend, I don't know, and her son went with us. And so we moved into an apartment. My mom and I shared a room. And she, the other lady and her son shared a room and I started school and it was like, there was no talk of like what just happened or like, it just, it just was like, okay, this is our new life. And, um, I didn't talk to, like, I couldn't talk to my dad for a while because she didn't want him to know where we were. And then at some point, a couple of weeks in, I woke up in the middle of the night and my mom wasn't there. And I went into the ladies, you know, the other ladies room and I was like, where's my mom? I don't feel good or whatever. And she was like, oh, she went to see a friend and she'll be back in the morning. And... When my mom came home the next morning, I overheard them talking and she was like, you're going to have to tell her like whatever. So turns out um, while my mom had been gone for that month, she her whole purpose was like to set up a life for us. Um, She had gotten a job and, um, you know, gotten it set up for this apartment and all of that. But she had also met a guy and um, who is my stepdad now. and she, so she was at his house, um, when I woke up and, but that was kind of how things transpired. It was just like, oh, this is my boyfriend. He's part of our life now. Like there was no, you know, <laughs> like what I imagine I would do for my children if when they were small, Jim and I would have gotten divorced like, it would have been a very different situation. Like we would have talked about it. And I know because of circumstances that it couldn't be all of that, you know, like in order for us to get out safely, we couldn't have family therapy or, you know, or right. not that that was even a thing then. Um, but once we were gone and we were safe, it was an immediate, here's this guy, he's your new dad. And, um, you know, the part of me that was just desperate for security and to be loved was fine with it. But knowing what I know now and looking back, like, I just wanted my mom. Like, right. I, yeah. Did you, do you remember feeling afraid? Like when you were at that apartment, like, afraid that your dad was going to show up or did your mom feel, did you get that feeling from her or it was just, 
I don't think so. I don't. I think once the break happened, like. And and I do know that once. Like in the time between when my mom came back and when we moved, um, she did tell me later on, like she said to my dad, I'm moving away from here. I've got to get away from here. And I want you to come with me if you want to come, but things have to be different. And really, I think she wanted him to come to get him away from the other woman um, was a big part of it. Like the moving away part to get away from the other woman and to um, hopefully get yeah. sober or whatever. Sure. So... Um, obviously, I mean, that wasn't going to happen and I'm sure she knew that. I mean, she had already met my stepdad, so I don't know how serious she was about that. Um, but so I know that there was a part there of like, it was just the initial, like getting away and making the clean break. I don't know that she was afraid that he would come. I never felt that way, but truthfully, I was living in, I had already by that point created my own reality that I lived in. Gotcha. I wasn't scared of my dad. So, I mean, obviously I was, but I was already emotionally shut down. And right. You didn't, you don't have memories though of like being there and being like, is he going to show up? No. Like, no. you know. No. If he would have showed up, I would have been excited. Like it, what, there was no. Yeah. That that was not part of of that. And I do want to say, like, again, I had already created, like, I now know that I lived in a world that was just my world that I had created to feel safe because my life had, I mean, it had never been safe. It had never been um consistent you know I mean it was from this house to this house to this I never knew where I was really staying you know it was just whoever watched me that day that's where I was going to be or for who knows how long or whatever and that at this time in my life with my mother this is the time of she was surviving and she was making life livable for us. There was no malice there or, you know, like she had not abandoned me. It was just like she had to work. She had to take care of all of us and whoever could take care of me while she did that, you know, that's what it was. So, um, again, just doing the absolute best she could with what she had, what she knew And she's the oldest of four kids. And my grandparents were these very simple, like farmers. And um, my grandma was a school lunch lady, you know, like they were, and they depended on her. She was the, the first one to get a college education, the smart one, the one that had it all together, like her brothers and sister depended on her. So she was carrying the weight of the world and also surviving. And, um, I, at one point I remember her having like a nervous breakdown and having to go into the hospital for a few days. And, um, you know, again, like just 
carrying the weight of the world. And so when we moved and when she met my stepdad, um, a very strong cowboy type person, like take care of women and honor women, like, of course she fell for him. And of course she wanted to just let him take care of us because she had been doing it for so long. And so I understand like she'd finally found someone that loved her and would take care of her. And she just wanted to be with him. I don't fault her for that, but it's just, I was along for the ride. Yeah. And he was a very gruff person, very authoritarian. Um, and literally told me that I was the baggage that if he, you know, he loved my mom and wanted to be with my mom and I was part of the package and, um, you know, that he was going to take care of me and love me too. But to my little girl traumatized mind, I was baggage and, you know, she was newly in love and wanted to spend every moment with him. And, you know, they were in this honeymoon phase of life. And um, I was the baggage. You know, mm. I, I definitely felt that way, that I was unseen. Um, I just so desperately wanted to be loved and important, but nothing that I did was good enough for that. So... Um, I was, I tried to be the perfect child. I, you know, because to me, well, first of all, I didn't want to be in trouble with him because frankly, he was an asshole. Um, but, and not abusive, but definitely had a temper and, um, verbally abusive, I would say. So, um, Yeah, it, that so at nine, 10 years old, that started the next phase of my life. Of So the first 10 years, I spent creating a world for myself that felt safe and um, that I just fit in. I don't I don't even know, really, honestly, like it. I don't even know how to describe like this little bubble that I created this world in for myself. And I was so little. Um, but then at, from 10 until probably when I graduated high school, well, 10 to like 15, I just tried to be perfect. I just tried to <clears throat> do anything to earn love and acceptance from them. And then, um, and money, not that this really matters, but money was a very tight still. Um, we definitely like paycheck to paycheck. And sometimes I don't know how they made it, but um, <clears throat> during that time, I guess I just, um, I always felt like an outsider in my life, in my family, in my home, um, for whatever reasons. And I mean, like literally to the point in seventh or eighth grade, um, 
my stepdad had like a work trip and they were going to be, I think he won like a cruise through his job. Yes. They won a cruise through his job. So he and my mom go on this cruise. I may have told this story before, but I was in seventh or eighth grade and seventh grade. And, um, we lived away from all family. Like we lived at this point, I think we were in Arizona and neither of my parents had any family around. And so she wanted to go on this cruise with him. So they just left me home for a week alone. Dear God. And like looking back, I'm like, holy shit. I was like 12, 13. How old are you in seventh grade? 12? Yeah. And I remember being very scared, like home alone, like something's going to happen to me, you know, terrified. Walked to school every morning, walked home at night. Like, Did just, people check on you or was this almost like a secret you had to keep too that like I you're home alone? I don't remember if I kept it a secret or not. Like I had a friend, I had a couple of friends who lived in the neighborhood or whatever. And I would go to her house after school almost every day anyway. So like I'd go have, we'd have a snack or whatever. And then I'd walk the rest of the way home. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know that I kept it a secret, but there was nobody to check on me. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I think about this time, my parents started really getting like into church a lot. And so, I mean, they already were, I think shortly after my mom got remarried, like we started going to church and that became around like sixth grade when we moved to Arizona, which would have been, sixth grade, I guess, fifth grade, sixth grade. Um, like religion became a very big deal. Not that that has anything to do with being home alone during that time, but anyway, there just, there wasn't people. Um, they were, my parents never really had close friendships or close relationships with other people. Um, so at this time, I had moved from third grade to sixth grade. I had been in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven schools. So I don't know where he went, but I'm, I just kept talking like you said. Um, no, but I was just saying by sixth grade, I had been in seven schools at this point. Like, and from start to finish, I think I, the last time I counted, I think that I was in a total of 13 schools um, growing up. So again, life was unstable to say the least. Yeah. Um, you keep freezing. <laughs> you keep <laughs> your video keeps freezing <laughs> and it's always, you're making the best. Face. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, it's like you're looking at the last time <laughs> you were looking and it was like, what the fuck? I don't know what I said, but it was perfect. Um, anyway, so yeah, I just 
it was life was a trip, man. So finally at like 14 or 15, puberty was hitting. I became interested in boys. Like all of a sudden I had like I I just started living my life and because they had become really religious and involved in church, like just normal teenager things, I became this rebellious teenager, you know, like I, I was, oh, my freshman year of high school, I was dating a senior. Ooh, it was not good. Like my parents forbade me to see him, which of course I still did. And, um, that was kind of the beginning of the end. Like, we fought constantly. I was obviously a whore. And um, if, if this guy would want to be, you know, why else would an 18 year old want to date a 15 year old? And Oh my God. um, Like, and then, you know, once I went to my first high school party, I was, you know, I remember at one point in the teenage years, my mom came to me and said, I just want you to know, I've handed you over to God. If the police show up in the middle of the night and tell me you're dead, it'll be fine because I put you in God's hands and only he can take care of you because I cannot keep worrying about you. Like I, (laughs) okay. And I get it. I get the idea of like, there was at one point when Ellie was, you know, living when she was stressing me out beyond words that I was like, I understand what she meant now. Like there's a part of me that wants to say you're in God's hands. I cannot do anything to change this situation. Like, what do you do? I get that. Um, But you know, sometimes it's not what you say to your kids. It's how you say it. Mm -hmm. Um. And that was definitely the situation with my mom. Um, When she left my dad, I remember her saying, and this became kind of a mantra of hers. um, No one is ever going to hurt me like that again. Mm. I am never going to be hurt again. Like that was her mantra. Wow. And... At the time, that seemed very strong to me. But now I realize, and I, somebody taught on this, who knows when, like, in order to shut yourself off to not feel hurt, that also means that you shut yourself off to love. And I honestly think when I was nine years old, when she left my dad and made the decision, no one is ever going to hurt me again. She shut off her emotions. And from then on, there wasn't love between her and I. Mm. Um, and I don't think that was a conscious thing at all, but I don't remember ever feeling nurtured by her ever again. Hmm. And Again, that's my perception, but truly, like, thinking back over my life, times that compassion or empathy or, you know, whatever would have been 
like the motherly instinct to give to me, I don't remember ever receiving. Wow. And, um, yeah. So by the end of high school, I was pretty much on my own. I made my own money. I bought my own car. I mean, they bought it, but I paid for it. Um, my own insurance, my own gas, like bought my own clothes. I worked full time. Like my senior year, I went to school for a couple of hours in the morning and I worked full time and, you know, hung out with my friends or whatever in the evenings or on the weekends. But I did not have any kind of a relationship with my parents by then. Um, By the end of high school, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. Like there had never been talk about college or like, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to college? Like there was no, you know, like they weren't that part of my life. They, (laughs) there wasn't any guidance. And, um, so I was just kind of floundering and somehow my mom saw master's commission on the TV and she was like, I really think you should think about doing this. Like, I don't know why or how that crossed her. Like, she was just like, this is, you need to do this. This will save your life. And, and basically like a, um, I don't know what you're going to do with your life. Like you're, you're doomed. So you need to do something to figure it out and like get yourself on track. And that was what she thought would be the thing, which I mean, I'm to this day, obviously I'm very grateful for um, going to master's commission because I met my husband, I met my people, I have my children, you know, that changed right. the course of my life. Um, but the way that, that I, I really felt from her was, um, I can't do anything with you. Maybe these people can. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, not like, I'm pretty sure that those were the words. Like (laughs) I've done everything I can do. Maybe these people can help you. And like, she wasn't wrong. I was a messed up emotionally and mental, mentally. I was messed up as a teenager. Like I had endured every kind of trauma a person can endure like physical, sexual abandonment, you know, emotional neglect, all of it, all of it. And, um, there was no help. Like I just, my brain was fucked and it's interesting that I use those terms. (laughs) I'll tell you more why later, but, um, yeah, I, As a 17-year-old, I was not a mentally stable person. I probably should have been – I should have received some kind of help. Um, And so the answer to that was to send me to MC because it was Christian. It was churchy. It was, you know, so, of course, that would be great. Um, I remember – right before I left for MC, uh, we actually went to Arkansas to visit family for some reason. And my mom, um, we were visiting my dad's parents and they were Christian churchy people. And I remember my grandpa saying to my mom, 
I think this is a cult. I don't think you should send her. Really? And, um, you know, of course she was like, oh, they don't know. They're just simple Baptist folks. They don't know. And, um, but that's very interesting. I I just recently remembered that. Um, Interesting. So I went to MC and I spent that year in MC. Um, I would definitely say that is where my relationship definitely changed with my parents. Um, I, um, I found family and as messed up as it was, I found people who loved me, who wanted to be there for me, who invested in me. And, um, that became family and, um, so after my one year, because MC was a one-year program, after that year was finished, I actually went back to my parents' house for a few months and moved home. I knew that eventually I wanted to go back to Spokane, but kind of the idea was I'd go home for a year and, like, heal my relationships with them, and um, then I would go back to MC later on and intern. Well, I, I went home. Started out fine. Um, I got a job and I met some friends and I started, you know, living life like a normal 19 year old lives life going, (laughs) going out with friends, um, just being a normal 19 year old person. And still I had my issues like MC did not resolve my trauma. Right. But during that time, you know, as time went on, my mom was like, oh, you're still really fucked up. And um, she was like, you need to go back. And she called the leaders of the program and was like, you need to take her back. She's not okay." And sent me back. And wow. um, Which great. I mean, (laughs) it's where I wanted to be anyway, truthfully, or where it felt safe to me. But um, it was, like I said, it's not what she said. It's how she said it. You know, growing up was, I hope you have a kid just like you. But it wasn't like the funny way that people say like, oh, my gosh, I hope you have a kid just like you, that you learn what things are like. She would look at me with hatred and anger and disgust and say, I hope you have a kid just like you to put you through what you've put me through. And, and that was kind of the way that, that when I went back to MC, like it was, you need to go back. You're not, you're never going to be anything like you just need to go back and they can take care of you. They can handle you. So, um, that, that was tough. And over the next seven years when I worked at MC, like, I, I would go home and visit and try to have, like, I, I was like, you are the best parents ever. And I love you so much. And, you know, like, I just said anything to feel like, to try to feel normal Mm. and to try to feel like we had a normal relationship and I don't know. And then, so towards the end of like, after working at MC for like five or six years, my mom then started saying like, 
are you ever going to move on with your life? Like you need to go get a job. You need to do something with your life. Why are you just staying at that? Well, I'm staying there because I'm every time I've left, like, I don't know how to live life. Like (laughs) I don't, I mean, first of all, it's a cult, but (laughs) the parenting side of things, like every time I leave, you tell me I'm failing and send me back. So like I'm in a cult, but also you're telling me I can't succeed in life without this cult. So I'm getting it from every side. Um, so finally, when Jim and I got together and got married, well, I'll just tell you, um, before Jim and I, we talked on a different episode about courtship and how I courted this fella um, before Jim. <laughs> and kind of the thing to do was for all of us girls, for some crazy ass reason, was to buy wedding dress, like buy our wedding dress. Yeah. Some people bought their wedding dress before there was even a fella in the picture um, because our engagements tended to be really short and there wasn't time to buy a dress. So at any rate, I had been home visiting when I was courting that fella and we found this wedding shop was having a huge sale. So we found this dress and I bought a dress for like 200, it was less than 200 bucks. Um, Turns out I didn't marry that guy and some time went on. And then once Jim and I were together and engaged, we were planning my wedding and which my parents paid for completely, I think. Um, But they were not like, they were very stingy about it. They were like, do everything, which is fine on the cheap. Like I think it total, it was like $5,000 my wedding which is a good amount. I'm not complaining, but, um, they definitely let me know that they were spending money on me. Like it was, it was a thing that Mm -hmm. they were paying for my wedding. And I'm saying that because it, it leads into more later on. Um, is this boring? No, this is great. Okay. So, um, when Jim and I were about to be married, um, my original wedding dress didn't fit anymore because nobody knew, but I was pregnant. So um, I had to get a new dress and my dad bought me a new dress. And I mean, they knew my first dress didn't fit anymore, but also it just wasn't my style. It never had been my style. I don't even know why I let them buy that dress. Like it was awful. Um, And so I wanted, you know, I wanted to pick something out that was more my style. Anyway, turns out my dad, my, when I say my dad, it's my stepdad in my adult part of my life. Um, He bought me two dresses, total spent around 500 bucks. Like I wasn't going out and getting extravagant dresses, but um, again, that will matter later. So uh, Jim and I get married and nobody, like we told like four people that I was pregnant, four or five people. And that was very hurtful to some of the people in my life because um, they felt in the dark, but I didn't want anybody to know because I didn't want my mom to find out. Yeah. Because well, she, oh, sorry. 
Oh, because she, like, it was taboo. And it was, uh, like, it would have been an issue across the board. Um, But my mom would have ruined, like, she wouldn't have let me have a wedding. She would have been like, well, this is, this is pointless. You're already pregnant. Like, why would we spend all this money to have this wedding for you to, like, go to the courthouse? You're knocked up. You know, I knew this. And... I just wanted to, to enjoy getting married, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I did not tell anybody that I was pregnant at the wedding and it was a beautiful, wonderful day. And I'm so glad I didn't. Um, and I'm sorry to those of you who didn't know and felt bad, but that is why <laughs> like. For sure. I mean, the thing is, is that it, it was taboo in that space anyway, let alone all of the family stuff. And I think it would have, like you said, it would have tainted the beauty of what it actually was. And that you and Jim, you know, wanted to get married. That was already on the table. That was already in place. We were already already engaged before I was pregnant. Like, so, but I knew not just my mother, but other people too. Like it would have tainted it. But in my mind, it was, I'm not dealing with her on my wedding day. Like I, yep. I didn't even get to the other people because in my mind, I was not going to deal with her. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that was great. Um, she started making comments during that time of, um, how, the people in Spokane had become my family. She felt pushed out of my life and that she had been replaced by all of these people in Spokane. And that was true. Um, Honestly, they did become my family. My friends became my family. My, you know, at the time, church leaders or different people had taken on a role of kind of not really parenting, but at least mentoring. And um, I didn't have a relationship with her. But the thing of it is, is that my relationship with her hadn't changed. That had always been the case. Right. It's just now I had a relationship with other people that I'd never had. And um, I was capable of loving and being loved by other people. And I think that in her mind meant that she had been replaced and that I didn't care about her anymore, but really they were just filling a void that I'd always had. Um, and I'm, I'm, I can't imagine as a mother feeling that, like I can't imagine seeing that happen. I, it had to have been hurtful. Um, but that wasn't my intent, you know, and not that, intent doesn't always matter. And I, I have gone back and apologized for that. And, um, you know, I, I do feel badly that, that that happened and that that was so hurtful, but I also have to, you know, she did that. She sent me away. She said they need to deal with you. So, you know, there's responsibility there too. And when you're experiencing nurture and care and you're seeing families that like operate different, you think, wow, I, I, that I want that. 
I want yeah. to resemble more yes. of that. Yes. Um, in my future, you know, yeah. I want to be a part of that. I, it would feel threatening. Yeah. And, you know, all of those things too, if I put myself in your mom's position, yeah. but at the same time, like you said, like it wasn't like with malice, but it, but it is natural to see, oh my God, other people do this way different. Yeah. And it's part of the growth process. I mean, we all have our own versions of that. Yeah. Right. Where you start seeing like, oh my God, I, f- I didn't realize it could be a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and just to give a snapshot of kind of how she operates, like the people who I, there was one family in particular that they're very loving and I'm sure they have their issues. Like I'm sure there are things that their kids would say they would have done differently or whatever, but uh, their kids are my age and the mom and dad, like he's just the most loving guy and just a sweetheart to everyone. And they genuinely seemed to care about their kids and put their needs first and be very nurturing and loving. And, but also, you know, like as loving as the dad figure in, in that family as the mom is, is like no nonsense, no bullshit, like, you know, but it was just like this thing that worked and they, I looked at them and I know a ton of people in the church looked at them and was like, that is the kind of family I want to have. Like, that is who I want to be. That will you adopt me? You know? (laughs) (laughs) And I would tell my mom stories about this family, like not in a way, at least I didn't intentionally do it in a way of like, Oh, I want to, I want them as my parents, but like, they're so cool. They have, you know, they have this relationship. They do this, they, they, you know, and, um, and the, the man, the gentleman, he was a pastor at the church and he actually married Jim and I, and, um, my mom like mocked them. Like, you know, she was very critical of them and very like, Oh, I, you want to be like that? Like the touchy feely family? Oh, okay. (laughs) And I just remember thinking you are, that is weird. Like how awful these, nobody has ever said a bad word about this family. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you know, it, it just, I'm sure there was jealousy there or whatever, but that's, that's just the way she approached those types of situations, you know, not, not with kindness. Um, but so, okay. In the story, I am now married. Um, a couple of weeks into our marriage, Jim and I, um, told our families that I was pregnant, which was fun. Um, for the most part, it was fine. Um, but I, I remember I told my mom on Thanksgiving morning and, Um, she said to me, well, I hope you know, you're never going to live in the promise of God. I mean, your life is not really going to be 
what God intended it to be because you got pregnant before you were married. Oh my God. And you know, what do you do with that? By that point, I had gotten to the point where I was like, yep, that's what I would expect. You know, I mean. So that didn't break you up. It wasn't like devastation. It was like, well, put it on my tab. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, yes. Outwardly, definitely put it on my tab. Inwardly, um, you know, could you just be nice? Right. Could you just be a mom? You know, by that point, I think that's where I was at a lot of the time. Of like, man, why do you keep proving how much you hate me? You know? Mm. And, um, you know, Ellie was born and they just, my mom adored her. And she was her little princess. And um, I loved that for Elle, but I think it was like kind of a knife twisting in my gut sometimes. just watching the way that she adored Elle and just feeling the lack of that towards me, you know, and not that she didn't treat me that way as a small child. I don't know, but just wishing that she loved me like that. I I remember feeling that a lot when Elle was little. Um, But as time went by and Elle got older, um, you know, it changed towards her. Elle wasn't the little dress-up doll anymore. She had a fight and spirit of her own and her own set of issues and problems. Um, And so their attitude toward her changed. And then um, when Jordan was born, when he was a tiny infant, my mom was around and helped, you know, she always came and stayed with us right after babies and help take care of everything. And, and she definitely was there, but, um, I think we knew pretty early on, like when I would go visit my parents and take the kids with me, Jordan cried, um, so much, like he couldn't get comfortable there. He wasn't, it became very hard to go visit them with Jordan. And so I, it was only a few visits that we went there and, Um, you know, I don't know. We didn't know Jordan had, um, autism early on, but it was definitely part of who he was. And she didn't really have a lot of use for him really early on. Um, she always wanted Ellie to come visit, um, but never Jordan. He was too much work. And, um, you know, there was just a definite difference there. And that started to be really hurtful to me. Yeah. And um, and then as Ellie got older, <clears throat> she uh, started being critical of some things of her. Ellie had really bad anxiety. And um, she was down at my parents for a visit once by herself and had a panic attack, wanted to come home. Um, was really struggling and they were very cruel to her. Um, and that was kind of a, a marking point for me of you don't have access to my kids anymore. Like they Mm. told her what a terrible mother I was that I would send her down there knowing that she had anxiety and why would I do that to them? And why would I do that to her? And, 
<clears throat> just things like that. And so, uh, and Ellie was probably like maybe 10, 11, I don't know, 10 or younger when that happened. And I was like, okay, this is, we're, we're done. We got to change some things here. Um, ah. I'm protecting my kids. And, um, when I started seeing them acting towards my kids and making my kids feel the way they had made me feel, that was not okay. Um, but still I wanted to please them and make them proud of me and make them accept me. And so there became this tug of war inside of me of like, trying to be this person that they wanted me to be so they would approve of me. But then um, hating that person and being like, what the fuck am I doing? And um, there became a lot of tension between us. Um, and that's when I say that my mother and I didn't bring out the best in each other. That's when that began. Like anytime I would talk to her on the phone, um, at the end, I would get off and <laughs> later on that day, Jim would be like, did you talk to your mom today? Like it just yeah. left this residue of, you know, a lot of yuck on me. And um, <clears throat> so we drifted and really only talked to each other every few months. Um, and over the course of when my kids were born to to when I had my last conversation with, with her, um, there had been times where we had, you know, like the thing with L when that happened, I went a year without talking to them. I was so furious and, um, you know, so things were already rocky, but the last few years or a couple of years before we stopped talking, I had really just tried like, I, I tried to be the bigger person. I tried to like put all of that aside and just be the good daughter and have their love and acceptance. And um, it just wasn't working. <laughs> yeah. um, so I've told the story, I think in bits and pieces before of our last conversation, but um, basically what had happened was Elle had, um, talk to them about helping support her volleyball traveling. Um, she asked all the grandparents, like, is there anything I get odd jobs, anything I can do to like help earn money to help my parents pay for my travel. I want to be a part of paying for my volleyball. And um, she sent the same email to my fam, to my parents. And obviously we don't live there. She couldn't do odd jobs for them. Um, but just, you know, um, not that it makes any difference whatsoever, but my parents are, have become pretty wealthy the, since I moved out and, you know, as, as life has changed or whatever. So she was like, man, maybe they'll want to, you know, be a part. Um, my mom then called her and said, um, that might be something we could do, but I think it would be really fun if you come down and visit us. It was about to be Christmas break. Um, it would, be, it would be fun if you would come down and visit us and tell us about, you know, what you're going to be doing and we'd love to see you. And Elle was like, okay, uh, maybe like, you know, and she's like 13 at this point. Um, 
So my mom said, well, I'll look into when we can get you a flight and I'll let you know. Mind you, I have not been a part of this conversation at all. Like, this is just to Elle, which is fine. I don't really have a problem with that so much. Like, I mean, I do, but I don't. I, I don't know. But at any rate, um, so then my mo- Ellie texts me. She's at school when this happens. She's like, hey, Nana's, you know, wanting me to come for a visit and said she wanted to hear all about volleyball. And I think basically she's saying she's not going to give me any money unless I go down there. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind visiting with them. But um, anyway, can you talk to her about it kind of thing? And I was like, okay. So I text my mom and I said, hey, Elle said you're trying to get her to come down for a visit. You know, do you have an anything in mind like so my mom said well I'm looking at flights and really the only days that are going to work is if she flies down on Thursday and then she can come home on Tuesday or whatever I don't whatever the days were and I was like oh okay and then I go wait Thursday's Christmas Eve are you talking about this Thursday and she's like well yeah I mean I thought she could spend Christmas with us and then go back. And I was like, Oh mom, (laughs) that's not going to work. Like we have family things we do together, you know? Um, I just don't think Ellie will want to be gone over Christmas. And she was like, well, yeah. I mean, I just thought you could sacrifice your baby one year, like to spend with. And I was like, well, uh, I, I don't think so. You know, like and literally in my mind, I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Um, so, and this is all via text. And I was like, well, I'll call you when I get home. I'm driving. I'll call you when I get home. I call her and she answers the phone and she's like, now don't freak out. It's just an idea and like kind of belittling me. And I was like, I'm not freaking out, but I just think you should understand, like, I've created Christmas traditions for my family. They're very important to us. And we want to be together for Christmas, Mom. Like, I'm not going to send one of my kids away for Christmas. Yeah. And she's like, well, just, you know, whatever she said. And so then it becomes this issue of, like, You know, you replaced us. You have, you know, we're not, you have all of these hurts and things that we should have done differently and we should have been more like those people. And um, I've sat back and let you, you know, have all the time that you want with Jim's family. We never ask for you guys on holidays. You're always with his family and Blah, 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 blah. You know, just like very hurt that she's been replaced um, or feeling like she's not important to us. And um, and and then she's like, and you're not grateful for anything. All you want is handouts from us. We just give you money. That's all you want from us. You don't want relationship with us. You just want our money. And now you're teaching your kids to do the same thing. And um you know, she's like, and your dad bought you two wedding dresses and you've never even said thank you. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so I'm saying all of this to say a lifetime's worth of hurt 
came yeah. out in this conversation. Yeah. And I don't fault that. I mean, like, obviously there was some shit. I had done some things to hurt her. I hadn't been thoughtful as a daughter, as an adult woman, of how some things had affected her. And I will take responsibility for that. I did, to her, take responsibility and apologize for that. Um, is that fair? Like, did I need to? I don't know. Like, I don't know. But I, for the sake of relationship, I would be willing to say, like, obviously, I was an asshole at different times in my life. And I wasn't, I didn't make you feel like I had gratitude for everything that you had given me. So I missed the mark there. Right. Right. Um, so through the course of that conversation of her telling me all those things and me saying like, I'm really sorry, obviously I messed up. And it just, the more the conversation went on, the more worked up she got, the further back in my life she went of hurts that I had caused or things that I had done wrong. And it finally came, looking back, putting the pieces together, it feels to me like it finally came back to that teenager me that scared her and, you know, whatever, wasn't perfect was rebellious and her, her words to me were, and I know I've said this before, but you're just a fucked up person with a fucked up brain and that's all you'll ever be. And my words back to her, (laughs) which were not good was, well, you gave me this brain. So I guess that's on you. And I hung up the phone And those were the last verbal words to my mother. And I'm not proud of that. But there is some truth to it. (laughs) I mean, come on. And um, so I say that whole story of my life, obviously, to share my life with you. But also, because I think it, it, like people have said, how can you walk away from your mother? Like, some people critically and some people like, wow, what happened that you would be able to walk away from your own mother, you know? A lot, (laughs) a lot happened. It wasn't a decision I took lightly. And even though it came on a day of like, obviously that was a passionate conversation and a lot of hurts and a lot of anger and a lot of things were happening there. Um, It was, I could have gone back the next day and said, hey, I was a jerk, I'm sorry. Let's work this out. But part of me knew, like, I'm tired of hurting one another. Mm -hmm. This isn't healthy. It's not good. 
And I got to work some shit out. And I don't feel like I can do that if we're continuing to hurt one another. Well, and let me ask you, Kel, too, what is your mom's response through all these years, right? Like throughout these different experiences. So as an example, when Elle had her panic attack when she was visiting and they were terrible, right? They did not handle it well. Yeah. Was she, is she, was she able to say, we were ill-equipped. We did not handle that well. I'm sorry. Like, was there ever apology on her end? Or is it more of a, like, I'm sorry you feel the way you do? Yeah. And never really, you know, is there is there growth on her end? Is there wanting to have self-reflection? No. Never. Not once. Okay. Because um, that's a difference, too. You can't. Yeah. It, it That's. That is in and of itself, I think, a huge piece. 1,000%. Because we can all be imperfect and fucked up, right? Absolutely. As long as we can also apologize. And yeah. and really in genuineness say, like, I did not show up my best self. I did not do that right. Yeah. I, you know, want to be better and really want to grow and be able to grow. But yeah. without that self-reflection piece, without that ownership, it is hard to have a relationship yeah. that is able to grow and yeah. be healthy. Yeah. Well, and I think, truthfully, the divide that started happening when I moved out of the house and went to MC <clears throat> was one where... I started trying to be a healthier person. Mm -hmm. I started trying to get healing for a lot of things. Um, and that's not something I've ever stopped doing. And I don't know what she has done the last four years, um, but that's not something I ever saw her do to try to resolve. I'm sure in her way, like, I'm not saying she hasn't done that, but that's not something that's ever been communicated between the two of us. Right. Um, and there's not ownership of the things that or the ways that she fell short or hurt or whatever. And <clears throat> truthfully, I don't even know that I need to be apologized to. I just need for it to change. You know, right. like, I just need her to stop bullying me. <laughs> and um, one of my last therapy sessions, the therapist said, okay, I need you to understand. That's abuse. Mm. She said that to you when she did that. That's abuse. And, uh, you know, part of my therapy is, we talked about a little bit parts work. So like the little girl self in me, um, the little girl self in me is not scared of my mother at all. Um, she wasn't cruel. She wasn't, you know, even in telling the story, like she was doing the best she could to help yeah. us and to take care of us. Um, the adult me is scared of her. The adult me is, um, you know, feels tiny and small 
because of, of the way that she treats me. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, there's without there being, uh, I wasn't kind to you, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just, like you said, there, it has to go both ways and I can't, it, it would, it would be staying in abusive, in an abusive relationship. And, and mm-hmm. that's not okay for anyone, whether it's your mother or your husband or, you know, whoever, like we shouldn't stay in relationships that tear us down. Yeah. And, and that was the decision I had to make. And, um, so after that conversation with my mom, the next day, I wrote my parents a letter, an email, and I just said, um, I hate that this is the best way for us to communicate. (laughs) I hate that we can't have this conversation and be, uh, civil to one another on the phone, but we're both too passionate (laughs) of a people, you know, and, Mm -hmm. Uh, and too stubborn, I guess. Um, and then I just went through and, and said, you know, I, I want you both to know, I hate that I never, that I, that you didn't feel gratitude from me and, um, for your sacrifice, for what a hard child I was for all of it, you know? And then, um, I, after I apologized, I said, I want a relationship with you, but it has to be a healthy one. And mm-hmm. I, ha- I have to feel like you respect me. I have to feel like you um, will let me raise my kids the way I feel like I need to raise my kids and be understanding that my son has autism and I can't beat it out of him. Right. And, you know, accept him and love him for who he is. And, um, I need you to stop treating me like the 17 year old, um, mentally unstable teenager and accept the fact that I've grown up and I'm trying to heal and get better. And, um, I need you to know that I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to, to do, and I need you to let me do that. Um, and then I just said, I hope that you can forgive me. Um, I am willing to make a place for you in my life and make you feel appreciated and feel like, you know, you have a place in our family. Um, But I don't know how to do that in a healthy way with the way things are right now. And so I'm going to um, work on that. And I hope that you will too, but I'm open whenever you want to have a relationship with me on these terms, like, please tell me. And I am open and, um, I've never heard anything. So, um, recently my, my stepbrother contacted me and said, you know, I really think you should consider extending the olive branch to your mom. And I just said, you know, Um, I feel like I put the ball in her court Mm -hmm. and said, when you're ready, 
And when you want to, and you feel like you can come to me. And, um, she hasn't. Yeah. And I don't feel like an olive branch, um, can, can solve that. <laughs> like I, I can't open the door to something that is going to be more of the same. Um, and so then, you know, as we talked before, she sent me the box of all of my childhood things, memories, special dolls. And to me, that was a like final nail in the coffin, so to speak, like we're done. And I don't know if that's what her intentions were, but that's what it communicated to me. Like, because there was no note or no, like anything to explain it. So um, I don't really know how to take it, but that's, that's what it felt like knowing the history of our relationship and, and how she is. That's what it felt like. Um, <clears throat> one thing that someone said to me that I want to address before we like start just chatting about this, um, was when you tell your story, um, she's probably going to tell her own <laughs> and it, it may not be exactly true or, you know, she may want to make you out to be the bad guy or, you know, right. whatever. and, um, to that, I say, I dealt with that four years ago. Like mm -hmm. I knew four years ago when I said goodbye for now, um, that my name and my family was going to be mud. <laughs> like, because just truthfully, I lived my whole life watching the way she talked about all of our family members, like right. from her sister and her brothers and how critical and hateful she was towards them because they weren't living the life that she thought they should be living um, to my brother and sister who are step, um, you know, whoever has been in her life. If, if, they weren't doing it her way. She did yeah. not have nice things to say about them. I was very well aware of that. And um, thank you to those of you who were concerned about that. <laughs> but I mean, that ship sailed a long time ago. And really, I don't know how much more damage she can do. Like I have, I have resolved the fact that um, she's not kind and she is a bully and um, emotionally. She's a bully to me. And there's not a lot. <laughs> there's not a lot more. I don't know how much worse it can get. And yeah. so um, I'm okay with telling my story and letting her tell whatever version. I will own anything that there is to own. Like I am fully aware that I am an imperfect person and have been an absolute asshole at points during my life. And Yes, I have also been a fucked up person with a fucked up brain. Absolutely. Like, cannot deny that. And I'm really proud of the person that I am now. Yeah. And it's been a whole lot of work to heal that brain and to keep working to do it. So, um, yeah, I mean... I probably way overshared or 
who knows what, but <laughs> no, I think it's so good. And, and as we've shared, even with when friendships end, you know, it's the same anytime a relationship ends, you know, that in someone else's story, yeah. What if we're the bad guy? What if yeah. we're the, the asshole, you know? Yeah. Um, and there has to be on some level, a surrender to like, so be it, you know? And like you said, all we can do is say, I'm open to owning my shit and my side. And absolutely. And, you know, uh, and just kind of let the pieces fall where they may because for the sake of health. Yeah. And, you know, um, if the opportunity comes and, you know, then, then that's something you can figure out or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I want her to have healing and I want to have a relationship with a healed her and a healed me. Um, I mean, who wouldn't want that? Of course. But my relationship with my daughter is far more important to me now. It's my job to be a healed version of me for her and for her daughter. And when I found out I was pregnant with Elle, when we... (laughs) In the ultrasound room, when they said, it's a girl. Okay, you can go pee. (laughs) I went into the bathroom. And I can still see this bathroom perfectly in my mind. It was like these awful mauve walls and this butterfly picture in front of me. Like, it was awful. And I sat there and I stared at that stupid butterfly and I sobbed. Because Ellie was a girl. Hmm. And I did not want to have a girl because I did not want to hate her and be hated by her. And in my mind, at some point, that's what our relationship would be. And when Ellie became a teenager and things got really hard with her, I remember thinking, shit, it's happened. She hates me. I'm not a good mom to her. We are doing this again. This is everything I didn't want. And that's when it became a non-negotiable to me of it's got to change. Mm-hmm. And for no other reason that when my daughter has children, because she said that she's decided she wants to. So that's <laughs> um, if the ultrasound tech says it's a girl, I don't want her to dread that. No, I want her to be excited about having the kind of relationship that she and I have. So there's no choice. 
And that might mean that I have to say hard things about where I come from and <laughs> what's happened, but it's worth every minute of therapy. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, all of it. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing so vulnerably about that. And there's so many parts I think that are so relatable. No matter what our stories are, I think there's pieces that we all see ourselves in those moments. You know, we all want to be better than what we had experienced in whatever portion, right? I do, my belief is that the adults of a situation hold more responsibility than the kids. You're a kid. You were a kid. And, and so that's, I, I guess I want to say that to you even, I know we're obviously as a peer, but the mom in me wants to say to the child in you that mom has more responsibility and that wasn't okay. And you get to be fucked up. You've got, you know, as a kid, you get to handle it however you handled it. And that the adult in that situation holds the weight of that responsibility. And it doesn't mean that you can't grow and that you don't want to be, you know, conscientious as the teenager to own your part of whatever attitude or what have you. But like the, the adult has the weight of that responsibility in those times to not be perfect because we're not, but to own their portion and to own the, the, the weight of responsibility of apologizing. And I'm sorry that you haven't gotten that yet. Yeah. Because you deserve that. And, and in the same way that adult you now feels that weight for your kids. Yeah. That you want to be healthier and grow and continue to do that along the rest of your life for them, for their kids, for that path. Yeah. That is what your mom should feel. Yeah. And that is on her. That, that responsibility does lie there. (sighs) Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I want to, there's that. I want to speak that truth a little bit. I think it's so good. It's so good to hear. And I, I know that in my mind. Yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. But 
it's different than feeling it in your heart, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think we all, again, we, it, it's easy to feel like we had that responsibility. Yeah. You know? Well, and honestly, Nicole, like, yes, that's part of it. I want to own my part. Um, but there's the part of me that is like, I'd be willing to take it all. I'd be willing to take all the blame and be the bad guy. Um, if you just want to be my mom. Yeah. Like, I still want to have a mom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And And I think the other part of that is, and the part of my story that I didn't share that I really wanted to is that I spent most of my teenage and um, young adult life just being gaslit all the time. Right. Anytime there was ever a... um, conversation of like, you know, I really think that I feel this way because of that messed up situation that happened. It was always met with a, we can't be a victim. Don't play the victim. Just overcome. Don't blame all of your life's problems on what happened back then. Just Hmm. pick up and move on and don't be a victim. Um, And I remember... (laughs) The day in therapy, one of my very first therapy appointments, um, I said some, I can't even remember what I said. And Rachel said, well, that's gaslighting. Like, Hmm. that, what you feel, what you felt was real. And... I left that appointment and I met Jim for lunch and I was telling him about my appointment and what she said and what, and I was like, Oh my God, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. I really did feel that. And it was like this light bulb came on of like all of the times when I thought it was me. What I felt was true. And I'm not crazy. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like it was literally a light bulb moment that became like a life changing revelation. Mm -hmm. But even now, even the idea of her someday hearing this, it's like, well, maybe if I just take enough responsibility. Hmm. She'll want to be my mom. Yeah. That sucks. (laughs) It does suck. And I don't say this as an excuse at all. I think I suspect that she does want to. I think she just doesn't know how to. I think she just doesn't know how. Yeah. Well, and... And I love myself too much to um, to go backwards just yep. for the sake of that. Right. That's right. 
as much as I want to have a mom and I want her to be my mom. Yeah. I can't go backwards. Nope. Yeah. So where do we go from here? (laughs) (laughs) That's the million dollar question, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, I do want to say thank you to you, Nicole, but also again, thank you to all of the people that listen and reach out. Um, And just the support and the understanding and the seeing, (laughs) seeing me as a daughter on the struggle bus. (laughs) 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 But just the, the knowing that, I mean, some of the messages that I've gotten from people are like, my mom is one of the most respected people in you know, their sphere, whatever that is, their town, their church, whatever, I don't know. Um, and I feel all of this so deeply, like yeah. who she is to the people out there, you know, that look in on our supposedly perfect family is not who I feel as a mom. And thank you for, you know, talking about your story or whatever. And those messages to me, like, are just as encouraging to me of like, I'm not in this alone. There are a lot of us who are really working to heal our mother wounds so we can be good mothers. And there's a account I follow on Instagram called like mom culture, I think. They just have really cute mom t-shirts, but um, (laughs) one of them, but they have a purpose. And one of them is um, a t-shirt that says mother of the mothers. And I think that there's such a, just going back to last week's episode and just kind of where it leaves me feeling this week of like, we may be mothers, but we need mothers. We yeah. need to be mothered. You know, the mm-hmm. mom and you talking to the kid and me is. Um, exactly what I needed. And I know that I'm not the only one. Like, when we see that in our people, we need to be able to. To mother, mo- mother the mothers. Yeah. We are funny. an empty vessel. <laughs> we <laughs> mama love, too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyway, anything else, my friend? No, I think it's so good. It's so real. I think let's let it just kind of ruminate there. Sounds good. (laughs) I want to end on a happy note. I want everybody to like walk away feeling happy. How can we make that happen? (laughs) Well, (laughs) how about, yeah. How about we see you? 
We see you and we love you and we believe in you that no matter what we come from and what we started with, we are better. We can give better. We are giving better. And that is our future. Oh, amen, sister. (laughs) (laughs) Love you. Love you.